The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I am Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. Welcome back, Matthias. Good to be back. Matthias missed last week's episode. He was out of the country visiting Peru. Uh, But we are back today, and if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do that at No Nonsense Pod on both Twitter and Facebook. You can also subscribe to or follow the show for easier access to get it sent right to you whenever there's a new episode. You can do that on whatever platform you're using to listen. And if you're listening on iTunes, it'd be really helpful if you would go and leave us a rating and review. Very fitting that we uh, have a podcast titled No Nonsense. Or maybe not fitting, maybe ironic is the right word. Uh, We have a podcast titled No Nonsense that talks about the Tennessee Titans because, especially on offense, there's a lot of nonsense going on right now when it comes to the Tennessee Titans. I mean, two carries for Derrick Henry in the first half. No points in the first half for the fourth time this season. Uh, three field goal misses for Ryan Suckup. Titans are, are sub-50% in field goals this year. I mean, guys, where do we even start today with, with, with trying to break this down? <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know either. So thankfully, I was I was out of the country on Sunday, so I couldn't actually watch the game while it was happening. Uh, I finally saw it today, just about an hour ago, the condensed version. It was not good. It was not good. But I really wasn't surprised at all. I kind of went into this game thinking, yeah, they're about to play a pretty good team on the road. Uh, the Titans are coming off two wins that were pretty fluky, I'd say. The Chargers win 
the Chargers should have won that game. They had a million chances from the goal on it, and they should have put it in. Uh, so th- that's that was just a Chargers thing. You you can't account for that. And then the Bucks game, it was it was strange, and Jameis just kept turning the ball over. I guess you can attribute some of that to the defense, but I I don't know. I I didn't think we should have won that game either. So this wasn't really surprising. Uh, I, I think maybe the way it happened was a little more surprising because Tannehill wasn't bad at all in this game. Uh, I, we just kept dropping the ball, kept committing penalties. And then the defense just kind of broke down as the game as the game went on. So, like you said, I don't know where to start. I'm just I'm just sick of this team, really. And I think that is where we do need to start, Matthias, because we, we were talking before the show. You know, last year the Titans' main problem was their inconsistency. Right, one week they would blow the doors off of someone, whether it be you know killing the New England Patriots or the Cowboys on Monday Night Football, beating uh, Philadelphia, the reigning champions in overtime, and then the next week they would lose to a really bad team, maybe Buffalo, who wasn't very good last year, Uh, you know, situations like that. This year, every week is the exact same game. They just kind of stumble around on offense, and maybe if they're lucky, get above average play on defense, maybe some turnovers. And some weeks they're going to, with that, stumble to some wins, or or to a win, and other weeks they're going to go to a loss. Right, and they're not even really beating good teams. I mean, they killed the Browns. The Browns are one of the worst teams in the league, as is tradition. <laughs> uh, they couldn't beat the Colts. They, I mean, they beat the Falcons. The Falcons are what? They have one win this season, I think? Yeah, that's right. They, could, they couldn't beat the Bills. The Bills are a playoff team. Uh, they, they beat the Chargers and the Buccaneers. Both of them are under 500. So, I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear that we're just not— we're not good, and, and we're not capable right now of even beating good teams. And you can make the argument that this season, all four of the wins that they have are against teams with some sort of adversity. right? The Cleveland Browns, who the Titans beat in Week 1, are a total mess and are probably going to fire Freddie Kitchens after one year. Their second win came against the Falcons, who are almost certainly going to fire their head coach after the year. Their third win came against the L.A. Chargers, who have fired their offensive coordinator, uh, since that game. And then their their fourth win of the season came against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are going to be looking for a new quarterback after this year because of Jameis Winston and his turnover problems. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're a bad team. Like, this is what happens. Uh, the first four weeks of the season or so, you really can't get a great feel for how good or how bad your team is because you don't know the level of competition they're playing. And beating Cleveland and Atlanta seemed like decent wins at the time because they're high power offenses and supposedly good defenses or defenses that are either well coached or have stars on them. But I mean, looking back, you know, who cares? Uh, We're one of 13 teams that have beaten those two. I mean, they have 13 losses combined. So, I mean, what we know about the Titans now is the same thing. Well, I guess it's not even the same thing that we've always known. It's that they are giving you, I guess the representation of what a bad team should look like. It's beating worse teams and then making stupid mistakes, not finishing, not executing well, and having bad game plans for teams that are better than you. So it's just kind of a downward spiral from last year where, you know, like we talked about before, uh, the Titans would compete with good teams and then have an upset win or have an upset loss against bad teams. But I mean, th- I mean, there is no dominating wins outside of week one there's i mean there's times where you get lucky and you have a couple of good plays like in atlanta where 
A.J. Brown and Corey Davis basically take over the first quarter and Atlanta never recovers. But it's not like there was a systematic destruction where there was nothing, you know, that anybody could do. And then, like we talked about, Tampa Bay gave the game away. The Chargers, we the Titans were up by 10 uh, before that Eckler touchdown. So it's not like they just kind of lucked out at the end. They you know, they focused on the worst part of the Chargers offense, and that's, you know, it's bad play calling to try to run into the backs of their offensive linemen over and over and over again. But at the end of the day, like, you're just splitting hairs. Like, if you're losing close games to bad teams, or if you're winning close games against bad teams and then losing pretty handily against good and average teams, you're a bad team. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the word uh, game plan as you were just talking, because I, I think that's where we need to go next with this. Because the Titans, I think, are, are overthinking things when it comes to the game plan. They're not making it as simple as it probably as it probably needs to be. For instance, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the 32nd-ranked pass defense in the NFL, Derrick Henry got seven carries in the first half, and they took a mainly run-first approach. Against the Carolina Panthers, who got toasted the week before in the run game, they take this weird pass-first approach and give Derrick Henry two carries and make it a Deion Lewis game. It's just, it's mind-boggling the game plans, if you want to call it that, that the Titans are employing right now. Yes, it it, it makes no sense. No sense. I don't know. I, I don't care how many plays you run in a half. I, I think they ran maybe eighteen to to twenty total plays in the first half. Uh, a lot of that was due to the defense not really being able to get off the field and and also because the receivers were dropping passes, we were committing penalties and all of that. I understand that. But if you get 20 plays and your best offensive player, who has been the best offensive player this entire season, he's been the one actually constant, uh, effective constant within the offense, even though the offense has been so like hit or miss uh, the entire season. And to give him, I don't know what two is the percentage of 20, but it, it's a very small number. I think it's just, it's it's a microcosm of, of how bad Arthur Smith is at actually designing a game plan and executing it uh, within a game. And I mean, the I guess you could say the offense got better in the in the second half, uh, maybe because they actually gave Derrick Henry the ball on the first drive of the of the second half, and, oh, wow, look, we score a touchdown, and then he scores another touchdown later in the game, although it was kind of garbage time. But I, I just don't understand how how you can go so many plays without giving that guy the ball and then giving the ball to Deion Lewis, who has been one of the most ineffective position players in the entire NFL, and then he rewards you with a fumble. And, and, yeah. and it's like you're surprised by, that, by, this, by this happening. What, like, is it? At this point, are we giving Arthur Smith too much credit to say he is game planning? Because the, the game plan, like the quote-unquote game plan, the offensive script, the plays that are called don't look different from week to week. You know, we didn't attack Tampa Bay any different than we attacked Jacksonville, and their strengths are wildly different. You know, at the time, Jacksonville had one of the best, you know, corner tandems in the NFL – it didn't matter. Well, and I think this is something that we need to discuss too. And keep in mind, as sort of a disclaimer, that this is obviously coming from an outsider perspective. We're not, you know, in these meetings or, or anything like that. But what value does Mike Vrabel add to the Tennessee Titans right now? Because I think the answer to that is 
this sort of uh, leader of men kind of guy. He can get these these 53 players to to buy into to what he's selling, which I think the Titans have bought in. I don't think that's the problem at all. Uh, he, can, he can build a culture, and, and he can lead and get guys to be where they need to be. He can, he can sort of run the organization. But in terms of, of actual like schematics and, and things like that, I think that's where there is a, a massive sort of lack. Yeah, I, I guess know. I guess culture is, is his biggest like addition. Well, and culture matters. Yeah, but it all it mattered with Malarkey, and look what yeah, happened to him. We just yeah, fired him. Exactly. Like the what? How is the culture different? Correct. Yeah. With a worse with a worse starting point. Um. It, so here's my thing. It, we've we've talked about it before. A leader of men is a really good quality to have, unless you're leading them to worse and worse results. Because then you're just that. Then it means nothing, you know. If I'm Corey Davis, I'm not excited about. I, I mean, he's not my leader at this point. You know, how many times does he have to take you off the field, or how many times does he have to not intervene with a, an offensive coordinator who's not getting results? If I'm if I'm Derrick Henry, I'm also the same way. I'm also like you know, I've been pulled off the field too many times when I'm in a rhythm to believe in you as a head coach. Okay, well here here's the thing with, with Mike Vrabel. I want to make a comparison to Marcus Mariota because, Will, you were on the Marcus Mariota train until the absolute bitter end when you finally said, okay, I can't do this anymore. There's clearly nothing going on here. There's never going to be anything going on here. So my question to you is, if Marcus Mariota always got the benefit of the doubt, why does Mike Vrabel get zero benefit of the doubt the why don't we ask these questions of you know well what about Mike Vrabel what would he look like with a better offensive coordinator well what would Mike Vrabel look like with with a better quarterback well well what would Vrabel look like with this and that and that because that's what Marcus Mariota got those kinds of excuses and questions for nearly five years so why can't Vrabel get just a little bit of that yeah I mean that's that's fair it's fair to say like why is a head coach you know, why is he on such a short leash? I think, it, from my standpoint, the hardest thing in football to find is a franchise quarterback. So if you've got a guy who shows any glimpse of that at any point, which we did see from Mariota in 2016, and I mean, but I mean, how many times have we seen Mike Vrabel be a good coach? I mean, he's he's been a head coach for two years, and he's taken a team to parallel results, and then what looks like a worse season. Okay, so next I want to talk about something that Mike Vrabel said at his uh, usual day-after-game press conference on Monday. Before we get to that, though, I want to uh, play you guys a word from our sponsors. Uh, But this quote that that Mike Vrabel gave came across to me as sort of tone-deaf. I was not very pleased by this comment. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the comment. Okay, so as to be totally transparent, I'm going to read the entirety of this this quote from Mike Vrabel, uh, and, and then I'm going to explain why I, I found it tone deaf. So M- Mike Vrabel was asked, basically, do you guys still have an opportunity, or is your opportunity to finish the season with a good record greatly diminished now that you're 4-5? and five? He says, I don't know, you, you'd have to check with the analytics people in order to get a, a percentage for that. I'm not really sure. But here's what I do know. We're going to play a game this week, and we can't lose too much ground. I would agree with you. You know, it, It's time to go. 
You've got to win games in November. That's when the NFL season starts. So we did. We took a step back in trying to do that, that being, uh, you know, keep pace in the division, things like that. Uh, And we're going to try to take a step forward this week. Okay. Obviously, the part of that that concerns me is his message of that's when the NFL season starts, referring to the month of November. Now, I know he meant that's when the playoff push starts. That's when the games matter more. I get that's what he was trying to say. But I found it tone deaf for two reasons. Number one, you're four and five and the fans really upset. And telling them that, well, the season starts in November isn't going to help any of that. It's not going to help your cause at all. But here's the second problem with that. Uh, No, the season starts in the second week of September, Mike. And the games starting the second week of September count just as much as the games you play in November. Those games in in November might feel more important because maybe it's more pressure-packed. Maybe it's more toward the end of the season when you kind of know if you're you're good, if you're bad, or if you're in the middle. Uh, But the games count the same. There's no added value to winning in November versus winning in September. It's the same all the way around. Yeah, well, uh, maybe he's just waiting for for these winter months to to get the the ground the the ground game going. Maybe that's why Derrick Henry only had two carries in the first half. He's saving him up for the real game. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like the every game does matter the same, except the ones he loses. Those are the important ones, like the AFC games, like we talk, the AFC South games, like we talked about earlier. Like. I mean, like you said, I know, and we're doing work for him trying to make sense of that quote because there's a hundred different ways he could have said that that would have come off better. This is, But this is me even doing work for him to try to make it make a little bit of sense. But even saying that sends such a bad message to your team because the message can't be, well, you know, it's okay. The, you know, these don't really matter until next week. Like that that can't be something you say to your team and it can't be something that's been written or whatever like you can't even think that because if your team gets a sense in in a league that's so close week in and week out you can't have your team thinking it's okay like we'll just go on another run like we did last December and last November because it's not going to happen again like the Titans don't get to play the baby soft cupcake schedule that they got to play last year <laughs> so so here's here's sort of an analogy for what I think Mike Vrabel was thinking so let, let's say you're in a competition where you've got to build a house of cards to like a certain height. And so you start at the bottom and you build your way up and you get all the way to the top and you got two cards left. You need to put two more cards on in order to hit that, that height you need to win the competition. And you say to yourself, okay, these are the ones that matter. Because if you mess up those two, guess what? The whole thing's going to fall apart and you're not going to hit the height and you're not going to win the competition. So you're saying to yourself, okay, these are the ones that matter. This is the pressure-packed moment. It's, it's times like these that matter. But what maybe even mattered more is the fact that earlier you built a foundation strong enough and, and, and solid enough to get you to that height in the end. I, yeah. I think he's been spoiled, right? By, yeah, because from, from the Patriots, right? Were, yeah, from the Patriots and Steelers because he like his his big appeal is that he's been part of so many of these, you know, dynastic teams, but part of that is, you know, it, it's it doesn't matter if you win in October and September to him because his teams are always 6 and 2 or better. Like right. he's never like 
he he's where he you know when he and was they playing, never lose in November and December. Yeah, because he, Belichick he, he, never let him. Like it wasn't like okay, the reason y'all won the Super Bowl this year is because y'all beat you know Green Bay in November. Like no, like I know that was an important win to you because you were worried about seeding at that point, but it happened because you know you started off three and zero and forced other teams to really scramble to try to beat you and not the other way around. Yeah. It also, I mean, he also coached at Ohio State when they never had yeah. Yeah, you know? he yeah so. he was best friends with Urban Meyer. Let's talk a little bit about the Titans' defense because for the first you know, five or so weeks of the season, it, it was sort of like these guys could do no wrong. And part of that was because the offense was so bad in contrast. But over the last three weeks, I think that certain parts of this Titans' defense has uh, or have been exposed because Phillip Rivers had his way with them in the second half of the Chargers game. They're lucky they didn't lose that one. They had a sort of a miraculous goal line stand on the one. Then last week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Mike Evans had nearly 200 yards receiving, and and other than the turnovers that that Jameis Winston kind of handed right to him, uh, they they struggled to uh, to stop the Bucks' offense. And then this past week, Christian McCaffrey went, ran wild. DJ Moore had over 100 receiving yards. Uh, it has not been good for them over the last few weeks, and now you're going to lose Malcolm Butler for the season with a broken wrist as well. Yeah, I, I think it is them facing better offenses, and, and I don't know exactly if if this really is a, a, a top ten unit because I, I mean, if you look at the teams that that, that they've played good defense against. Uh, like the Browns, Baker Mayfield is absolutely broken. He's having a horrendous season. Uh, the Falcons' offense has been broken for for the whole season. Also, then you play Josh Allen and the Bills. Josh Allen has been better this season, but the Bills don't score a lot of points at all. And, and then you you hold Joe Flacco and the Broncos to 16 points. That's fine, but I mean Joe Flacco is like a bottom five quarterback in the NFL. So I don't know. I the defense played well against the Chargers. But the Chargers have also struggled. They've also struggled. Tampa Bay has struggled because Jameis has been a dumpster fire this entire season. Uh, and now you, you finally go up against a pretty good offense. Uh, and Kyle Allen played very well in this game. Uh, we knew we probably weren't going to be able to stop McCaffrey, and we didn't. So I don't know. I, I don't know. It's really – I don't know how to feel about this defense – I know they've shown capable of controlling games in the past, but they've also had a lot of, I don't know, like random moments where random games where they just don't look good and can't really make a stop and and can't really generate too much pressure. So uh, I don't know how to feel about them going forward. But if if they're going to give up this many yards and and this many points, this offense, our offense is just not going to be able to keep them in games. Yeah, so they're still seventh in points allowed, even though that's, you know, skewed a little bit because of early season and all that kind of stuff. But the fundamental, I guess the thesis of this defense is try to keep points off the board and try to force the other offense into third and one and third and two. It's what... It's clearly what they're doing. It's why they only rush three and four for the majority of their plays. It's why they drop so many in kind of that picket fence coverage and just guard the sticks and then try to like drive on the ball and tackle. It's it, that that's just the defense they want to play. And 
when it works and you get those stops on third and one, third and two, it really frustrates the other offense and it makes them, you know, question what they're doing. And it it's very effective. We've seen it work, you know, all year. But when they convert or when you jump off sides or when you're getting beaten, those contested catch situations deep down the field, then you become a lot more human, especially when you have to play Christian McCaffrey, because it's just hard to stop him no matter where you are on the field. Um, it Should we be worried about the defense? Probably not. It's never going to be the team's biggest problem. Um, and that doesn't mean it's, it's not an issue, I guess, but it, there, there are bigger things to worry about, but conceptually you do kind of need to worry about the fact that, you know, they're not really trying to rush the quarterback. Uh, it, I don't know who's going to be the starting left tackle this week for uh, Kansas city. I didn't see who played last week for him. I hadn't watched that game yet, but, uh, for a while it was cam Irving and, uh, they had Fisher out and, it, that, that was a huge issue for them, just like the Broncos have the worst left tackle in the league in Garrett Bowles. But I, I would I, the Titans didn't pressure the left tackle and didn't force him to make good blocks when they played Denver. And I don't imagine they'll make whoever's playing left tackle for Kansas City, but you know, put forth a good effort. That's just not the way they call a defense. And right, wrong, or whatever, just because it, you know, the end result is all that matters, but you're going to get less sacks, you're going to get less interceptions because you're just not forcing the quarterback to do, you know, dumb things, but you should, uh, you know, theoretically limit the big plays. So, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see this week if there's any changes made after, like you talked about, like the last two or three weeks, the Titans defense really hasn't been all it's cracked up to be and all it's supposed to be. Yeah, I, I think we kind of – I don't know. The pass rush was looking good for, for most of this season, but we're we're still missing. We're missing a pass rusher, right? Well, that's the thing is that even if, you know, they – like let's say they go out and trade for Vaughn Miller. They're just going to drop him in coverage on half the snap. And that's not <laughs> – that like it's it's like a joke like because like we've like talked about it before, but it's not when you – Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like, but like that's you know, but that's it's, like that's, you said, just because he's good at it doesn't mean he yeah, should be doing it. I said that in our group chat. It's like just because he can doesn't mean that's what he should be doing. But you know, and it's funny, Will, that you bring up this Harold Landry and coverage stuff because <laughs> as soon as I saw Harold get his interception on Sunday. I, I knew what was coming, and I knew that we were going to get a, a bunch of tweets saying, "Oh, you you guys said they shouldn't drop Harold Landry into coverage." I just I, I love that. I mean, we I love that we have brands like that where when something happens, people come right to us, and, and we sort of know but, that it's coming. Yeah, tweet at us whenever our brands are wrong. I love to hear about it. Uh, but the like the Harold Landry interception is the Dion Lewis like twenty two yards and two carries thing. Like it is not the way you should be using those players, but it you know it's gonna prove you right. You know, quote unquote. Let's look ahead just a little bit to the Titans' upcoming matchup on Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. I tend to think that if Patrick Mahomes plays, the Titans are going to get eviscerated because I just don't know that they'll be able to keep up with the Chiefs' offensive firepower. I don't. I don't even think it matters if Mahomes plays. It, it matters in the sense that Mahomes is a way better quarterback than Matt Moore. But Matt Moore has been perfectly fine over these last two games. Uh, and they just came off a pretty 
good win against the Vikings, who have been a so- really solid team. Uh, and Matt Moore played well in that game. He completed seven uh, for he got 275 yards, 7.9 yards per attempt through a touchdown. He's kind of just getting the ball out to his playmakers, particularly Tyreek Hill. And I mean, who is going to cover Tyreek Hill? He's going to run all over the secondary, right? Because, I mean, we've seen them try to put a dory on him. Uh, it happened in the playoff game. Logan Ryan just simply cannot keep up with him. Uh, I, it, it is a little bit comforting that Kevin Byard is a very good center field safety, and he can kind of, you know, roam back there and maybe not let Tyreek get— But but what does Kevin Byard run in the 40? Like 4-4-8, four, 4-5? Four, four, yeah. 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 Well, okay, here's the thing. It doesn't matter. Um, because this is what's going to happen, and I would almost put money down, that there's going to be a play design where Andy Reid has uh, – he'll run a crossing route over the middle where he goes, and as soon as he enters Wesley Woodard's zone, they're going to throw it to him. Oy, oy, oy. And then he's no. going to turn the – yeah, he's going to turn the corner on Wesley Woodyard and split with whoever's got the zone closest <laughs> to him, and he's going to go up the field, and nobody's going to catch him. Yeah, I, I'm so excited to watch Tyreek Hill this weekend. Like, I know that he's like a terrible person off of the field – uh, but in terms of like the player that he is, I, I just can't wait to watch him. Yeah, like I, I wish somebody else was that fast. But like, yeah, it's it's it, it will be devastating. And you know, like we said earlier, like Dean Pease is not going to change his mind. Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans are or and uh, uh, Wesley Woodard are interchangeable to him. He does like as crazy as that sounds. Like he put. Wesley Woodard in one-on-one coverage against Eckler. He he's going to do the same exact thing. He with did that. against McCaffrey also, right? Yeah, A yeah, times? He's, yeah. He's going to get toasted. So like <sighs> Wesley Woodard, I have all the respect in the world from as a player, great pro. Like everybody talks about how good he is. He's still a very good run defender, but mm-hmm. he is going to get toasted, and it's going to be and it's going to be ugly, and it's not just going to be once. So. And like, it'll be more – it's not just Tyreek. I mean, it'll be Damian Williams yeah. or Kelsey yeah. or Miko Hardman. Oh, my God. that would. Yeah, and we're going to see a lot of those, like, hook routes where the linebackers and the safeties, like, look at each other and kind of raise their hands like, oh, I thought, thought you were going to get him. I thought you had him. And then they kind of, like, clap their hands together and they get back in the huddle and then it happens six or seven more times, especially if we manage to get him in third down and it's third and 13. Like – I would rather be, and obviously, I would rather be in third and one than third and 13 against them. All right, we're going to wrap up the show as we always do with our Stop the Nonsense segment. If you have a submission, get it to us on Twitter or Facebook. Use the hashtag Stop the Nonsense. What we do in this segment is we take a look at the biggest nonsense from the uh, sports world of the week. It can be from media, it can be from fans, and... Uh, we always have a fun time with it. So I, I think I started last week. So any volunteers to go first this time? Uh, yeah, I have one. I can't find the exact uh, quote. I'm, I, I had it saved. And I can't get to it right now. But uh, there was an idea that if the Titans lose this next week, that they should just completely shift and put Mariota back in so that he can audition for his next team. Oh, my I, God. Like, let, yeah, let, let, me, let me just... I want to say this as somebody who has defended Mariota, who thinks that Mariota will be successful outside of Tennessee. If you're a guy who doesn't like Mariota, this take is obviously nonsense to you. If you do like Mariota, this is not what you want to happen. You don't want him to go out there and get hurt and jeopardize right. his future. Let the man rest for like one one period and really get his life in order and say, okay, 
I'm looking at all the league, all the teams in the league. This is where I want to go. This is where I want to develop. Don't don't confuse him. Don't pull on his heartstrings. Don't get this whole rivalry reignited. There is no upside to starting Mariota from here on out for anybody. So please stop that nonsense. Okay, so here's my stop the nonsense for the week. Uh, on Sunday afternoon, I get out of church and and, and I look at my phone. And there's a ton of Twitter notifications. I'm like, oh my goodness, what is happening? Because I'm not covering the game, so so I figure surely it doesn't have anything to do with that yet anyway. And it did have to do with the Titans. Our friend uh, Houston, who man, is just clearly a uh, what you would call a Mariota stand boy, what I would call a Mariota stand boy, was so here's the backstory of this. I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but here we go. Alex Doherty, our our Predators writer, A to Z Sports Nashville, puts up a picture on Instagram and Twitter of a Predators fan he saw at Bridgestone Arena wearing a custom Marcus Mariota Predators jersey. Couldn't see the guy's face, just the jersey, and he used like a facepalm emoji. So this dude, Houston, on Twitter says, I had respect for A to Z Sports and Luke Worsham, Zach Bingham, Austin Stanley, and Buck Rising. But after the post with the Preds fan in the Mariota jersey, they've lost all of my respect. Damn shame. I I, I didn't really know how to feel about this other than just confused and sad for, for him. Uh, Buck Rising handled it well. He said uh, it's... It, it, uh, he said something like, uh, you can't imagine how little I care about your respect. But these people who cannot get over Marcus Mariota, I mean, it, it goes beyond just this guy. I had people tweeting at me during the game on Sunday saying, they need to put Mariota in, they need to put Mariota in and give him a spark. Guys, it's over. Marcus Mariota and the Titans is over. Done. Unless Ryan Tannehill gets hurt, Marcus Mariota is never going to play for the Titans again. Did you watch the Denver game? He is mentally broken, and he's not going to get any better in an Arthur Smith offense. Move on. Right, I know you like him. Will. Will loved Marcus Mariota for four years. But he's over it because he's seen it. He's seen Mariota play quarterback this year and that there's nothing left there. Move on. It's over. Done. Yeah, Mariota was trending in Tennessee, by the way. No, he was not. I saw that while I was watching the game. Yeah, I saw that while I was watching the game, and I was like, what happened? Like, I was like, did Tannehill get hurt and Mariota's warming up? Well, the thing is, is it was trending in the first half, and there was nothing Tannehill did that didn't, that affected the game in the first half. Like, he fine. did not, yeah, he did not have a bad game in general, nor did he have a bad game. And I'm not, I'm not talking about like yardage or on paper or whatever. Like, he, but like, for what you should expect him to be, like, he had, he had a regular Tannehill game. Like, Nothing special, nothing. So, yeah, like I, I really like. I, again, I want to reach out to all my Mariota people out there. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, but yeah, well, yeah. Like, so, and the Houston guy tweets back later and says, uh, 
Would you shame someone for wearing a Doriel Green Beckham jersey? Yes, I would absolutely shame someone for wearing a Doriel Green Beckham jersey. And here's why. Right, I don't usually jersey shame because I know that jerseys are very expensive and sometimes people can't afford them. And you get one of your favorite player and your favorite player turns out to not be that good. And so you're just kind of stuck with it and you, you can't afford to buy a new one. I get that. But it's not like DGB or, or anyone like that was anyone's favorite player. Like if you have a DGB jersey, it's because you had money to burn. And, and this Marcus Mariota custom Predators jersey, I imagine, was at least like $125. And that if you can buy that, you have money to burn. And also, if you saw a Dorio Green Beckham jersey and it was like a Memphis Grizzlies jersey, like that's the weird thing is it's like a cross sport. Like, so it's it's an even weirder jersey to just kind of see in the <laughs> wild because who's that for? Like, who, who's like, like, I, I don't understand. Like, it's just a really weird, like, I, I, don't, I don't understand who's, I, I mean, I get it, I guess, because I like Mariota, but I'm not, I've, I've never had the inclination to buy a jersey, like, much less like that. All right, Matias, close us out. So my my stop the nonsense this week is uh, brought to you by Luke because I didn't have time to find one. Uh, but Emily Emily Proud uh, tweeted uh, a response to one of her posts on Facebook. Of course, it's always Facebook. So our good our good friend friend of the podcast. Not just kidding. I don't know. It's probably <laughs> unknown man. Ba- ba- Barry Booker, great name by the way. Uh, comments. This is one of the better coach teams I can recall in recent times. That was, oh my God, I can't get through this. That was not a bad loss yesterday. Carolina is a good team. Really, at this level, everyone is good. No reason to get too hung up on wins and losses. Nashville is very lucky to have a team, and we all need to be a little more appreciative and humble. Just enjoy the ride. That's a galaxy brain take, man. <laughs> to not care about anything other than the fact that we at least have the team. That's some high-level optimism that I hope one day I can find that peace of mind, but I really don't think it's ever going to happen. I, I tweeted at Emily after she posted that, and I was like, that that post should have ended with blessings, exclamation point, and then the prayer hands emoji. What a crazy, like a like, that guy's a hippie, right? Like, that, there's no other way. I don't know. Like the, the way the pendulum swung on that, it was like, right. it was like, this is one of the better coach teams I can recall in recent times. I was like, Okay, like I like I guess you can be wrong, and like and that's fine. Like the defense is good, whatever. And then it was like that was not a bad loss. I was like, okay, that's fine. Then I was like, really at this level, everyone's good. I'm like, okay. Then it's like Nashville's lucky to have a team and should be a little more appreciative. I'm like, whoa, I'm like what a weird like left turn out of nowhere. It's like, in fact, I think I like the NFL. And it's like, okay, cool, man. <laughs> like, what? A, and then it's like we're not going to scare the just enjoy the ride. What you do this sucks. This sucks. Yes, this does suck. Um, well, that's going to do it for us this week. We will be back next week for our third annual bi-week extravaganza. We are excited to be bringing that from our old show to our new one, No Nonsense. So uh, the Titans may be off next week, but we will not be. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have some trivia. We'll play some games. We will maybe have a guest on. We'll look back to training camp at some of the predictions and, and, and takes that the three of us had and see if we want to double down on them or, or take the L. Uh, so it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, when, there won't be a ton of content from the Titans next week, obviously, because it's the bye week. So uh, stick with us, and we will have you covered. 
Until then, for Matthias and Will, I am Luke, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense.